Okay guys, we are just getting into a series called Elementary, where we're discussing two kingdoms and one reality. And we're kind of playing off of these two ideas of the spiritual and the physical, or the natural and the supernatural. And really what we're trying to discuss is how do we understand both, how they're interconnected, which is more important, which leads the way. Like, how does the world really work? How do we come to truth? You know, this one reality is made up of two parts, spiritual and physical, natural, supernatural. And then there are also two kingdoms involved in this one reality, right? So that, that's what we've been talking about. But we, we started out the discussion with a couple episodes about uh our orientation in the world and how we've actually gone through the looking glass where everything's backwards to the way it really is and so we've really grown up in this false reality but we have no idea because that's where we start and so the goal so far is that we need to at least recognize where we are and that we need to get back through the looking glass and we need to take a journey to do that and what does that look like and it's hard to know until you start to learn to walk with the spirit and the spirit begins to reveal things to you right but at the beginning really what you have to first admit is that you don't know anything if you cannot come to god in a certain way you won't learn anything from god you won't be able to get the things god has and that's what we're going to talk about today in this episode it's episode number three which is like a little child and the series is elementary and I am your host, Jay Randall Ori, and this is a Construction Monk podcast. <laughs> all right, we got all that out of, out of the way, so let's get started. So, I'm sure you've noticed the last two episode titles have been the titles of children's books. The first was Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll who is not Lewis Carroll. And the second was A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline LaIngle. And this third one, I was going to name Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because that's the book we're going we're gonna to be jiving from, you know, primarily to kind of talk about this idea of how we come to God and the kind of person God's looking for, right? But um, I didn't, I don't know, at the last minute I thought, you know, the really, the topic is about coming to God as a little child and why is that important? And... Sorry. I'm on the trails, by the way. And I just realized, I think I'm going... Yeah, I'm going the wrong way on the, on the trail. <laughs> anyway, like, so I decided to name this third episode of the series Elementary. According to the topic and not the children's story, which we will be getting into, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I read this book a couple times as a kid. There's been two different movies. One in the 80s with Gene Wilder, and then more recently Disney has done actually two movies with Johnny Depp as the main character as Willy Wonka. Um, am I right about that? No, they've only done one. They've done actually two movies of Alice and Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. That's the, and, and Johnny Depp was in those two. That's my confusion. But So, let's take a look at that story, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The reason that I gravitated towards this story for this topic is because in the story... Willy Wonka is looking for a certain kind of person. But there's, there's a, some really neat elements in this story that really play to the supernatural or what we'll get into 
which uh, is the concept of magical thinking. Like, this is a great story that illustrates the functionality and benefit of magical thinking. Um, this is an idea partly de- derived and discovered and fleshed out by Jean Piaget. And he really studied child development. Right? And so he had this idea that children have this huge amount of magical thinking when they're little. And as they grow up, they grow more out of logical thinking. Or I'm sorry, they grow more out of magical thinking and more into logical thinking. And so the magical thinking component of a child as they grow into adulthood really, really shrinks. And the logical thinking component grows. Okay, So, so his, you know, Jean Piaget was a psychologist, a child psychologist. It, like, I'm boiling it down to a very, very basic description, right? He was a very bright, brilliant guy, had a lot to say about a lot about child development, but I'm just giving you the basic overview. So it's interesting, though, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that magical thinking is a strong component of the story. Okay, so let's just first analyze some components of the story in terms of magical thinking and what's going on. Willy Wonka has decided to pass on his candy industry to an heir. He has no children, so he's looking for someone to take over. But he's looking for a certain kind of person. Look at the process he entails and think about this, people. If you owned a billion-dollar company, this is not the way you would look for a replacement this, people would say, this is absurd. This is magical thinking. This is not the way, this is like fantasy. You would never look for a replacement or someone to take over your company in this way. Willie Walker decides to take five golden tickets, put them into his chocolate bars and distribute them all over the world. And the five people that find them are, you know, are supposed to be children and they're going to come to his factory and he's going to... Tr- you know, he's going to bring them to the factory and he's going to see which one of those five he feels like is adequate to take over this million, billion dollar candy industry, right? That is not a good strategy for finding someone to take over and run a huge company. I mean, that's crazy. People would say that is absurd. That's magical thinking. Magical thinking is this would be a good idea. I will really find the best candidate if I enact this kind of strategy, right? I mean, that's not a strict definition of magical thinking, but it employs magical thinking. It's like, or we could say it's more delusional. It's like, it's not sensical. It's not logical, right? We're kind of contrasting magical thinking and logical thinking. Logical thinking is you would want the, the largest pool of candidates and you would want to sift them down to the best of that pool and you would have this really intricate and detailed process and it would probably take a year and you would want like... You would have all these qualifications and you would want people that had run companies before. You would want, you'd want people that knew something about the candy industry, right? And like that would be the logical process and that would be the process that would make the most sense. And yet Willy Wonka may go, like, decides to use this process that makes no sense and he's not even looking for an adult. He's looking for a child. And so that in and of itself is more akin to magical thinking. It's magical thinking to think that this is the right process to find your Successor. That just, just doesn't make sense. And so, but here the story is set. Five people find the golden tickets. One of them is, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. One of them is Charlie Bucket. 
And, you know, the scene of the story kind of opens up, and you know, what you're seeing in the first couple scenes is Charlie's life. He's, he, his parents are poor. His parents' grandparents live in this small house. I mean, they're very, you know, bedraggled. They're very unkempt. Everything is like, they live in a factory section. Their dad works at a toothpaste factory. And there's the grime that you would expect in the, you know, 19th century in- industry laden England, you know, factory town. Right, and so I, it, I'm, of course, I'm playing off somewhat of the most recent Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie, uh, but I think they do a really good, accurate historical depiction of what a factory town would have looked like and what a poor person living in that town would have, what their conditions would have been, right? And so Charlie's one of the candidates, right? So all these five people come in, like they come up. The other thing to consider is that Charlie hasn't had anybody. Or I'm sorry, Willy Wonka hasn't had anybody in his factory for years because um, because of his industry and, and uh, different chocolatiers and candy makers had tried to send spies into his factory. So what he had done is shut down the factory and automated it, right? And, of course, you know, it's really fun. It's funny how he automates it, right? It's, again, even his factory is more magical. It's oriented towards more magical thinking. Like, he's got squirrels as nut sorters, right? <laughs> he's got these Oompa Loompas that came from this really indigenous wild place. And these are his only, like, human-type uh, employees. <laughs> I mean, and he pays them, I think, in hot chocolate <laughs> or chocolate. <laughs> it's just like, this whole story is, of course, it's written to kids, right? But it, it entails so much magical thinking. Like, this isn't the way you would do things. Willy Wonka is very childlike, right? And so he's looking for a particular kind of person to take over his company that will be more like him and will run the company more like him, right? Because there's a there's a particular ethos that he has in running his company. Like, he's not just trying to make candy and make a buck. He's trying to create something that is really... Um, he's trying to create an experience for children through candy, you could say, or... He really, he really wants to do something beautiful and give something beautiful and something enjoyable, right? And so his driving force isn't, I want to be really rich and I want to make a lot of money. His driving force is, I want to bring joy to people through candy, right? <laughs> and again, so, like, he is, Willy Wonka is a particular kind of person and he's looking for a particular kind of person like himself to inherit all the things he has and to take over what he's doing. It's more important to him to find the right kind of person with the right kind of heart than a person with the right kind of skills and knowledge. Ooh, man, that is, wow, wow. And remember, remember, we're going to be talking about how do we get to the supernatural? How do we kind of start to come through the looking glass? How do we start to reorient ourselves away from the world apart from God, which is more organized and established and empowered by Satan and back to God's way of doing things and same is true of God. God's like Willy Wonka in this story. God is like, it ain't about what you know, what you can do. It ain't about how good you are, how skilled. It's about a certain kind of heart and character. It's about a certain kind of person. There's a certain kind of person I'm looking for who's best fitted to be able to see the kingdom of heaven and operate in the kingdom of heaven. And what does Jesus say? We're going to get to this in, darn it, <laughs> I'm not sure what book this is. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says the best kind of person to enter the kingdom of heaven is a little child. Man! <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow! Like, that's why I really like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because Willy Wonka has the same kind of idea. He's like the best kind of person to inherit all this stuff and to really 
take on my legacy and carry it forward past me is a little child. Man, so cool. Okay, so, you know, I'll just kind of go through the story a little bit. Uh, try to get through it quickly. There, there's, again, there's these five characters. Charlie's one of them. The other four children, you know, each is allowed to bring an adult. They all bring, you know, a parent. Charlie brings his grandfather. He just has a special connection. His grandfather, by the way, in the story is somewhat childlike too. Like he encourages Charlie to be a child, to have magical thinking. To He encourages magical thinking, right? So they both go on. But like the other four children all fail the experiment or the vetting process of Willy Wonka, you could say. Willy Wonka takes him to the factory. He's like, don't, he tells him what not to do. Like, because of who they are, these kids, these kids are like, all these kids are really self-absorbed and like they're ego-driven. They're actually more logical. Like, they're driven. They've actually been successful. Uh, let's see. Let's go through. There's, back up, Augustus Gloop, Veronica Salt, Violet Beauregard, and Mike TV. Augusta Gloop uh, is just a foodie, right? Veronica Salt is a chewing gum uh, champion. Violet Beauregard, oh, I'm sorry, Veruca Salt is spoiled. She's the one who her dad just bought all the candy bars he could and had people like unwrapping them so she could get a golden ticket. Violet Beauregard is the is the chewing gum champion, and then Mike TV is just a lazy TV addict, right? But they all, they're all driven by an impulsive selfishness. Like, they're all self-absorbed. Don't mind the kids screaming in the background. <laughs> There's other people on the trails. But they all, they all fail because they... Not because they're, they're not driven or not because... You know, they're self-absorbed and they do what they want to do. And they don't listen. They all fail because they don't have the right kind of character. They, they end up falling into, you know predicaments and bad situations because number one they don't listen and number two they're like they want to do what they want to do and they're not caring people they're not you know they're self-absorbed could you say they're more logical i don't know they're not as imbued with magical thinking right to one degree or another but charlie is so charlie's the only one that makes it to the end and um he wins, and he gets to inherit. At the end, you know, Wonka reveals that that's what, it, what was going on the whole time, that he was looking for a replacement. Charlie wins, and, you know, Willie flies him back through this flying elevator, picks up his family, brings them back to the factory, and they all live there. And it's like they've just been transported from this meager, you know, subsistence to this luxury life, right? And it's like all because... They were Charlie, all because Charlie was the right kind of person with the right kind of heart to fit exactly what Willy Wonka was looking for. He was a little child who was really a little child. If you, th- if you really look at these kids, these other kids, they're children, but they're not like children. They're obsessed with certain things and they're self-absorbed and their parents have actually fueled their self-absorption, right? Spoiled them in different ways. You know, they've never really been through what Charlie's been through. I mean, it's interesting because Charlie has the least, but he's the happiest too, right? That's a child. (laughs) Interesting, huh? Let's go ahead and jump to Matthew chapter 18. Um, So this is interesting because this discussion that Jesus has with his, his disciples starts with the disciples arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who's first, right? 
So you could say these disciples are like these other four kids in the Willy Wonka story. They have a certain idea. They're, they're, they're more egocentric and they're arguing about who among them is going to be the greatest because in this culture, like when there was this ruling figure, a lord, a king, an emperor, they had a right-hand man. And that right-hand man was second in command. And they acted, in the absence of the ruler, they acted as the ruler. They had all the power. They wore the signet ring sometimes. They had the ability to sign documents. They were like the king in authority next to the king. And so these disciples, that Jesus has told them his kingdom's coming. He's the king of, of all heaven and earth, right? I mean, these are great. So, of course, they're arguing like, well, who's going to be the one most powerful second to Jesus? And then Jesus hears them arguing and he calls them and he's like, hey, guys, man, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what my kingdom is about. You're so confused about my kingdom because you're thinking it's like these human kingdoms. Uh, but what do we know about human kingdoms? Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth in one of the three temptations because those kingdoms are designed by Satan and they are akin to Satan's authority and power. And the way Satan exercises his authority and power is what? What's the energy behind that? I've already said what the energy behind that is. It's fear and death. Satan orders everything in his system around fear and death. His main objective really is to separate us from God and kill us. And so he designs systems that do that. What Those systems pit, each, pit people against each other. They put people over people. Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over people when they're in power. Like He's saying this is the way Satan operates in power because Satan wants to divide and breed disunity for the sake of bringing death. A feeding into fear and bringing death. So of course it's like, well, I mean, if you understand that basic essence of spiritual reality, you understand like we should never do anything in the energy of that kingdom, of Satan's kingdom, because it's all about fear and death. And so Jesus is coming to the disciples because they're talking about we, well, of course, it's going to be like these kingdoms of the earth. There's a second in command and each, all, we all want to be that. And Jesus is like, Jesus is like, you don't have no idea how God's kingdom is. You're thinking in terms of Satan's kingdom and you're completely backwards. What he's really saying is you're on the other side of the looking glass and you have no idea. Let me talk to you a little bit about what's on the right side of the looking glass. So this is now Jesus addressing the disciples in their bid for power. He says, Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Some translations say become like little children. And he says, So whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it is better for him that a millstone be hung around his neck and he be drowned in the sea. Whew, pretty stark, right? It's interesting because verse 5 he says, whoever receives a, one, of these, a, one of these children in my name receives me. He's saying, I'm like a little child too. What's he talking about? Unless you become like a little child, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven. To go through the looking glass, you have to be a certain kind of person. What is that certain kind of person? A little child. What defines a little child? Simple trust, simple belief, magical thinking. We're going to get to, I'm going to get to a definition of magical thinking a little more specifically, a little more, you know, dictionary definition. But like, children have a trust of their parents. They're obedient. They believe. They don't... You know, I mean, if you've ever raised kids, as they get older, they start to argue with you. They argue with your wisdom. And 
you know, eventually a child would become an adult and have their own wisdom about the, about the world. But the main function of a parent is to, in lieu of their life experience, to protect and guide children who are not yet able to understand what the world is really about, right? So in order for a child to really survive, they have to have a unfaltering trust in their parents, even if the child doesn't understand. So understanding and logic is not the main, um, it's not the main tool of a child or the main mode of a child. The main mode of a child is, this world doesn't make sense to me. I don't always understand why my parents do what they do, but I trust my parents. I'm not going to do what they say. That is more magical thinking. There's a trust there. And then as children grow, they begin to think, well, maybe I don't like this and maybe I don't believe this, but that's fine. But as we're going to see, magical thinking is actually more akin to reality than logic. We'll get there too. So Jesus is saying, unless you come to God first like a little child, you won't even get the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter it. Why? Because first you have to, you can't come to God and say, God, this doesn't make sense and you better explain it first. And if I can't understand it, I won't do it. Right? Like, and on the other side of the mirror, everything's backwards. Logic gets you, logic is, is backwards. To get to something you have to move away from it right like logic doesn't work if you come to God and say God if I can't make sense of you I won't follow you then you won't get there you won't even begin to let God lead you through the looking glass or take you on a journey that eventually gets you there because there won't be trust right he says whoever will humble himself like this little child He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because in the kingdom of heaven, things work a certain way. The way things work in the kingdom of heaven is what God says is true and what God says goes and you have to learn to trust God because God sees infinitely infinitely more than you can see. And when it comes to spiritual reality, what can you see? And how can, how can you even begin to learn to see what is there? First, you start with simple trust. And magical thinking. Magical thinking is, I can't see God, but I know God's really there. Um, Jesus goes on. I'm not actually not going to read the rest of Matthew 18. Um, he can, he, you know, he's, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting. Okay, so we'll, I'll, I'll read a little bit. This is verse 18. This is Matthew 18, 18. He's, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. And my name means in my character, in my, in the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, really. But this is how things work in God's kingdom. And in spiritual reality. And this is why an understanding of the natural world is opposite to spiritual reality. Because in the natural world, things are mechanized. And I can exert power over things. I can grab something. I can move it. In spiritual reality, it is about a person, God, and personalities and principalities. And we have no power there. The only power we have is when we align ourselves with God and when we are under God. Like... There have been these studies about prayer. It's interesting because, 
you'll see some studies that say prayer really works and other studies that say prayer doesn't work. And so what's going on, though, is the difference between magical thinking and logical thinking and a naturalistic view of the world and a supernatural view. So there there have been studies of prayer, and what they've done is they've said, okay, everybody, you're going to pray for God to heal cancer in this person. And, And it's, you know, every person's praying for a different person, and it's like, well... Nobody was healed, or only one person was healed. It didn't work. Prayer didn't work. And then the other study is like, when people pray, the psychological benefits are immense. Having this belief in some kind of supernatural divine being, having a magical thinking approach towards the world, yeah, man, that's super beneficial. People are happier, they're healthier, their mental health is better. The way that they deal with adversity is better. Like, so, but understand... One of those studies is actually more akin to magical thinking and the supernatural, and the other is more akin to naturalistic thinking. And in the natural world, in science, in the science of the natural world, in the epistemology of the natural world, meaning how we come to truth, this is how it works. Repeatable phenomenon. If a scientist in Italy in 1850 does an experiment, a scientist in the United States in present day should be able to do the same experiment and it should work. Same exact way. Repeatable phenomenon. In the supernatural, it's not about repeatable phenomenon because it's not about chemicals and chemical processes and there's no magic pixie dust that makes things happen. There is a personality, God, who is supreme in the supernatural and when you want something to happen, you are asking him to do something and he may choose to do something different in every single situation you ask. It's a personality, it's personality driven and it's driven by a personality who is a king of a kingdom. Right, And so you can't, again, you cannot take natural processes and naturalistic epistemology and methodologies and apply it to supernatural or metaphysical processes. God is not a chemical process. But if all you've ever known is the natural world and your view is naturalistic and this is the way things work and then you take that and try to come through the looking glass and try to look through the looking glass and say, well, then the supernatural should work this way. You will never get there. This is what Jesus is saying. Unless you say, I got to put all my understanding aside. The way that I think the world works, I need to put it aside because not only is it more naturalistic and materialistic, but it's also been designed by a kingdom Satan's, who actually has created his whole system to try to get you to not believe in the supernatural. Satan doesn't want you to see him, believe in him. Because if you knew Satan was there, you would definitely know God was there. Satan's whole system is there is no other side of the looking glass. And so there are two elements to a naturalistic view and the world that we grow up in that are actually designed to keep us or, or that work to keep us from actually seeing God and going through the looking glass. Interesting, right? Those two things are supernatural don't work like the natural and the naturalistic viewpoint is actually um, empowered by a supernatural being who doesn't want you to see anything supernatural or believe in anything supernatural because that gives him power. Um, So let's get into talking a little bit about magical thinking versus logic. Um, so Jean Piaget he was a Swiss psychologist known for his work in child development he lived from 1896 to 1890 but his his uh, views didn't I'm sorry 1896 to 1990 
1960s is when his views really started to take place. And as I described, like, he really had this... Um, I'm sorry, I'm going through my notes, sorry. He had this idea that magical thinking was childish, basically. And, and as children grow, they become more logical. Interesting, though, there's this idea in geology called uniformitarianism. Okay, now we're getting into culture. But there is a kind of cultural uniformitarianism where we may look at the world today and go, wow, this is how the world's always been. But if you study culture, you realize that for most of the history of the world, people have been more... There's been a larger component of magical thinking in, in everybody's minds. Most cultures have thought that there is supernatural and that that is actually the supreme reality and the way that things work in the natural world is secondary to that, right? But with the Enlightenment has come a hyper-rationalism. Like, for the last almost 3,000 years, Western culture has been moving from Greek culture to the Western monarchies to, and you know, the Enlightenment period. And so we've actually been, been becoming more and more rational and logically oriented and less magical thinking oriented over the last 3,000 years. Now, it's hard to see that kind of progress over 3,000 years, especially when you wake up, walk out your door, and you live in the world you live in, right? So, but I've, I have my master's in humanities, and I've studied culture. So I can tell you, we have not always had such a predominance of logical and anti-magical thinking. I don't think, we've, I don't think the, the world or the Western world has ever been so anti-magical thinking as it has now. And so, you know, for, PJ, for Piaget in the 19... 40s, 50s, and 60s to come along and say, it's really natural for a child as they grow into an adult to leave behind magical thinking to this degree. There's a bit of a, of a cultural uniformitarianism going on there because that wasn't always true. That, I mean, the reason that Enlightenment thinkers called the Middle Ages the Dark Ages is because they thought, how oh, those people were so stupid. They thought demons were everywhere and they really thought the supernatural was there and they really had this very tangible concept of the supernatural really affecting their everyday life. And of course, they thought they had to cover their mouth when they sneezed because a demon could come in and they had all these weird superstitions and superstition and magical thinking are kind of the same thing. But get this. This is so crazy. In modern psychiatry, magical thinking is considered a disorder of thought. It's a mental illness. If you believe in the supernatural, in psychology, you are mentally ill. <laughs> this, is a, this is kind of the definition of magical thinking. It denotes the false belief that one's thoughts, actions, or words will cause or prevent a specific consequence in some way that defies or circumvents commonly understood laws of causality. What they didn't say is commonly understood naturalistic laws of causality. The supernatural does not work in the same way as the natural. It's backwards. Why? Because trees and chemicals don't have a personality and a will. Supernatural is dominated by sentient spiritual beings with a will who don't do what we want. They're not chemicals. They're not inanimate chemicals that we can somehow grab a hold of through magical hands or, or you know, the right incantations, right? The, it's about aligning ourselves with personalities who don't do what we want and won't, who, to whom we need to do what they want. 
right? That's the whole idea of the supernatural. Like, that's even a simple thing to, to understand. Like, if there is a God and the supernatural is defined by this being, this creator being from which the material came and who can create worlds with words, then what? Ooh. He's not going to do what you want. You can ask. But like, there's a specific way we come to God. And that's what Jesus has said. A little child. A little child doesn't come to their parents and say, you better give me chocolate right now and you better not make me eat my vegetables and you better let me stay up till 12 o'clock watching TV. They may try that as they get older. <laughs> They'll, you know, when my kids do that, they lose those privileges they're asking for. They don't get them. You don't come to God and tell them what to do. You recognize God is so far supreme and infinite, so far beyond you, and you come with humility, Jesus says, like a little child, come humbly, and you ask, and you say, God, would you please do this? I'm suffering, or I'm hurting, or I have a need. But you have to recognize that you don't have God's perspective, and you don't know what's best for you. You've got to come like a little child, and you've got to understand that you don't understand anything, especially at first when you come to God. If you want to get through the looking glass and you want to start to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to first say, I don't know anything and I can't do anything and I need everything. I'm a little, little, little child. And as, I, as we walk with God, as we enter, as we go on this journey with Jesus, the way of Jesus, following the way of Jesus, well, we crucify the old self and its orientation away from God. And as we walk, we begin to understand how the supernatural works and God begins to empower us because that's his desire to give us agency because he has given us dominion over the earth, right? But that's a process. And the first step is, God, I don't know anything. I can't do anything. And I need everything, right? And then God's like, that's a person I can work with. A little child, because they're willing to learn. They're not coming to me saying, well, I tried prayer, God, and it didn't work, and you didn't do what I asked, and I wanted this to happen, and I'm mad. And God's like, well, I guess you have no idea how all this works. And, but if you want to learn, I'll teach you. But you, right now, you're not even in kindergarten and you're acting like you're in college. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but think about that. You know, it's like one of the definitions of magical thinking, it's magical thinking, the magical thinking disorder, mental illness of magical thinking is that you can say things and things happen. What is Jesus called in John? The Logos, the Word, right? That who spoke creation into being. What does Jesus tell his disciples? If you have faith, if you have even a mustard seed of faith, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it will be cast into the sea. Your words have power in the supernatural. They don't in the natural. But the, the supernatural supersedes and precedes the natural. And so actually, if you start to understand how this works, you can even affect the natural differently. And man, there's like so many, so many studies now, even in science, that show the words we speak actually do have real, real tangible effects in the world. Uh, one study was people speaking to plants. Another study was people speaking to water and the effects it has. And as I told you, at the um, quantum level, observation by a sentient being changes what things do. Isn't that interesting? Inanimate atoms and, and electrons and mic microns and whatever is else is there at the micro level. When someone's watching them, they do something different. And I think this was called Schrodinger's cat. Like, what they figured out, I don't know how they figured this out, but when they looked into a field of atoms, they would 
all collect into a certain place when observed, but when they weren't observed, they would kind of be everywhere. And so it's like Schrodinger's cat was like the atoms don't form into something unless they're observed, which is weird, right? It's like it takes some kind of living presence to actually bring things into creation and cause things to actually continue to be what they are. Scripture says, in him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being in all things um, that are created, were created by him, right? And he holds all things together. Weird. Like, the greatest reality of all things, even natural, even in the natural world, is that by the very presence of God and by God's sheer will and heart, all things hold together, even in the material. Like, there is a personality that makes all things what they are. And so, you know, it's like, if you want to throw a mountain into the sea, you can, but like, how would that work in the supernatural? What is, you know, scripture says an evil and wicked generation seeks a sign. It's like, God doesn't play games. Like, God does everything purposefully and, and there's meaning and there's intention and it's like, it's all for the purpose of really drawing everyone to God so they can be um, united with God as we're meant to be which, because that brings peace and healing. That's where how we're created to be. It's not egotistical. God doesn't crave worship. God knows that we will be happiest and healthiest when we are like little children with a heavenly father. <laughs> but it's like, so let's just say, I'm like, God, I want you to throw this mountain into the sea. And God's like, well, the first thing you need to ask is, do I want that and why? You know, um, it's not it's not a trick. And, you know, there, uh, one of my agnostic friends told me one time there was like for a long running, for the long time, there was this panel of scientists that said, OK, anybody that wants to come in and show and demonstrate the supernatural right in front of us and we'll believe it. Well, that's not going to ever happen. Because Satan doesn't want to reveal himself and God doesn't do things for show. Everything God does is for a purpose. And so that's absurd. And what is that panel saying? The natural should work like the supernatural. Nope, it doesn't. And what they're, all they're really revealing is that they have no idea how the supernatural works. And they're also revealing that they don't want to know and they're not the kind of person that could ever know because unless you become like a little child, you will not even begin to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, that's it. Um, we'll end with George Lucas and Industrial Light and Magic. I thought this was really interesting. I just want to show you why magical thinking matters and why it actually is better than logical thinking. But it takes both, right? One of the things that I talked about this last time, it's like if you had an intricate and really exhaustive knowledge of the natural world, you wouldn't know anything about the supernatural. But because the super, in terms of systems, the supernatural includes the natural, but the natural doesn't include the supernatural in a sense. Like, in a way, the supernatural is infused in the natural. But if you understand the natural, it doesn't mean you understand the supernatural. But if you understand the supernatural, you can also understand the natural. And so it's like, which system is higher, bigger? Which incorporates the other? The supernatural incorporates the natural because it's the bigger system. But you can't reverse that process in a sense. Like, you could understand the natural, but not the supernatural. But if you understand the supernatural... It, it is a system that incorporates the natural and says both work. And so it's like, it's not magical or logical. It's both, and both work together. And so the natural and the supernatural work together, 
those who only see the natural don't necessarily see the supernatural, but if you see the supernatural, you understand how it relates to the natural. And so, as I said before, it's like, just because you see the natural, that doesn't say anything about the fact that you don't see the supernatural, and it doesn't prove the non-existence of the supernatural. Because they work different. But like, there is a place for magical thinking, and there is a place for logic. But as I said before, logic is the most abstracted from reality. Uh, let me see if I have a definition here. And then we'll get to George Lucas. I don't know if I really looked up. Um, uh, it's somewhere in my notes, but I don't know if I can find it. No, I don't think I... It's about Piaget's kind of the process of, of how we grow. And Anyway, logical thinking is actually called abstract thinking. Because it is the ability to think about things not in front of you, like not in sight. Like humans are the only animal or the only mammals that have the ability for abstract thought, which means we can think about things that we cannot see, or we can see in our mind things, or we can we can think on things that aren't visible to us. That's abstract. It's actually abstract from reality. It's helpful because. We can think about the future. We can think about the past. We can think about what if I do this and what will happen. That's abstract thinking. Magical thinking is not abstract. It's concrete because it relates to a real true reality, the supernatural. Magical thinking is there is a God. The world was created from the supernatural to, you know, the natural came from the supernatural. It's a real thing. There are real principles. There are real method methods. There are real truths. There's, there are real things that happen as we align ourselves with God. And like that is actually provable. I really like Jordan Peterson's, um, this is the way he describes this. People say, do you believe in God? And he's like, I, he's like, I act as if God is real and it works. <laughs> and I think that's, I love that definition. Like, you know, Peterson has a very critical and high demand for truth. And so, I love that he is not willing to say, I know God exists, but he's willing to say, I act as if God exists and it works. Um, that's kind of the supernatural. It works. It works because it's there. It wouldn't work if it wasn't. <laughs> um, this is, I kind of developed this phrase, uh, if you want to believe, you can. If you do believe, you'll see that it works. If you see that it works, you'll know that it's real. You know, like with a child, it's like, do you, do you believe? Yeah, you start with belief. An adult with logic is like, but it doesn't make sense. But what are you trying to do? What are you trying to abstract in your logical mind? Well, it doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it work this way? Why doesn't it work that way? Well, but what's your basis for understanding how the supernatural works? The natural. Okay, there's, there's the problem. You don't have no context for this. If you have no context for understanding something, what should you do? I don't understand anything. And then what do you do if you don't understand something? Well, who does? Mystics? Theologians? Where are the sources for this kind of truth? Go to those sources. Sit at the feet of someone. If someone is a mystic, they have experiences of God. They have experiences of the supernatural. Start to learn. Start to listen. How did you do it? How did you get there? There's a process, Jesus, in Scripture. Talk about the process. Become like a little child. Become a disciple. Walk with people. It's relational. You're learning about relationship with an invisible supernatural being. 
it's all remember I said everything natural and supernatural is about th- one um, <laughs> one thing's relationship to another um this is uh I don't have time for all this. I'll have to get to this into this to the next time. I'm trying to contrast logical and magical though. Magical thinking actually works better sometimes because magical thinking allows you to see beyond what is logical because logical is based on what you already know. Logical thinking is I know things work this way and then I can understanding the process of how things work, I can think about how to work things out in front, in in my mind even though I'm trying to might be playing with something abstract. It's based in reality. It's based in what makes sense. But you're trapped within only what makes sense to you. Magical thinking is, doesn't make sense, but I believe that it still works this way. And so, it was really cool. I watched Light and Magic, this six-part documentary on Disney Plus about George Lucas's invention of Industrial Light and Magic or the creation of this, um, you know, movie effects company, right? So, um, he tried, was trying to do Star Wars and he realized that there was no effects, movie effects company that could do what he wanted. So he just got all these crazy guys together from all these different places who, like there weren't experts in this field. He had to hash out from scratch the, the very company that he needed to do the effects of Star Wars, right? And it became known as Industrial Light and Magic. As a part of that, like one of the cool things was they had to create this camera never before created. John Dykster created it. It it, had, it was similar to a CNC machine where you could program it to move a certain way and it would repeat this, like if there were 12 movements of the camera in a certain scene, it could repeat those movements and they could film different models of ships all with the same movement of the camera behind the same backdrop and then they could layer them together and it would look like there were all these ships moving in the scene. They could only do that with the invention of that camera by John Dykster that had that CNC type memory capability, right? But the biggest thing that, that Lucas invented was CGI, computer-aided graphics, um, or CG, sorry, computer graphics. Like, the cool thing was, though, that Lucas poured millions and millions of dollars and years and years into an idea that he had no idea if it could actually work. Now, there were computers, but computers at the time could not do what he wanted, and there was no real, concrete, rational um, evidence that they could do what he wanted. All he knew was that if you could create computers or build computers or get computers to create digital graphic effects, it would be so much easier and better. So that's magical thinking. But it wasn't outside or apart from logical thinking. Logical was like, I know computers exist and I know they can do these things, but I want them to do these other things that, as far as we know, they can't do yet or may not ever be able to do. But George Lucas, despite all the odds against it, believed in something so strongly that it came to be simply because he believed it. That is magical thinking. That is an entrepreneur, a creative, a pioneer in an industry. They believe something can be that has not yet been and isn't really that logical. It's based in things that are pre-existing, you could say. Like, if Lucas had said, well, I think computers can do this and no one had ever even thought, heard of a computer... Right, like computers came from circuitry. Circuits came from more, I think, more electrical type systems. But like, the first computers were huge. But like, so computers themselves were something that was created more through magical thinking. Like, there's things that are similar that that we could maybe make into this thing, computers. And then Lucas was like, "Oh, what if computers could do 
CG graphics. And so he assembled this team and like he poured all this money and a lot of people around him were like, you're crazy, dude. You're wasting money. You're wasting time. You don't even know if this will work. And like one of the guys, uh, John Knoll, as a part of trying to use computers to create graphics, he actually invented Photoshop, which I thought was cool because I use Photoshop all the time because I do graphic design and I do film some of the short films and stuff. But like the first real effects that they that the, the first time they used CG was the Abyss and Terminator 2. Terminator 2 was the metal man, right? The Abyss was that uh, water tube type tentacle that came out. But then the first real movie that used full CGI creatures was Jurassic Park. And and as they're going along in Jurassic Park, it shows the process of how they're struggling to try to create make these dinosaurs look like they're actually moving. They had actually one guy had actually built all the clay models of the dinosaurs and that's what they were going to do. But the computer department was like, I think we can do this. We're so close. And it shows the process of like, they struggled, struggled, struggled and finally figured it out how to make these dinosaurs look real. 100% computer generated. The crazy thing is, that was more magical thinking than logic. Lucas just said, man, I want this, I want this to be something. Nobody was like, yeah, that's possible. Nobody was like, that makes sense. People were like, You're, that doesn't make sense. Like, I don't know how many years. It seemed like it was five to ten years. Millions and millions of dollars that, that didn't generate a single dollar in return. But Lucas was just like, I really want this to be. And he believed in it so wholeheartedly that he single-handedly brought it into being. That's more magical thinking. Magical thinking... Sometimes it's actually more akin to reality than logical because logical only allows you to play with what already is. Magical is there's something beyond what I can understand and see. And hence the metaphysical supernatural. But in this example, you can see how magical thinking, pure magical thinking really, coupled with some logic, allowed one person, George Lucas, to revolutionize the film industry and special effects. Isn't that cool? Like, so even on a, on a real simple level to say magical thinking is a disorder and it's a disease and it's a mental health issue. That's overly naturalistic. It, it doesn't account for the reality that we need to be able to believe in things we can't see. This is how the world actually works, even in science. Germ theory my agnostic friend was telling me about some guy that discovered bark had some um, pain-killing properties. And he was like, see, science! And I was like, really? So who was the first person to eat that bark? Because, you know, a lot of things in nature will kill you. At some point, someone had to have some magical thinking before they had logical thinking. Everything, like, there's so much of our science that seems logical that didn't start with logic. Because logic would tell you, don't eat things in nature if you don't know what they are. But nobody knew all the things in nature at first. And so there's experimentation. And so even in the natural world, magical thinking has led the way in so many, so many ways. And then there's just the unexplainable process of intuition and people just understanding something that they couldn't, or actually believing in something they couldn't understand, which led them to a real discovery, right? So many discoveries come through magical thinking, not through logic. If we only operated in pure logic and a purely naturalistic worldview, we'd still be in the Stone Age, <laughs> I think. And as Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you can't even begin to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
it's not our understanding that leads the way. It's a certain kind of heart and a certain kind of person who's willing to say, I don't know anything and I can't do anything and I need help in every way from you. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Magical thinking is a thing. Logic is important. A natural view or a naturalistic view of the world is helpful. A supernatural view of the world is important. When you put them all together, you have a proper view of reality. You have the best and biggest and most complete view of reality. And when you start to have the best view of reality, you start to understand how you are living on the wrong side of the looking glass and how to start to take a journey to come through the looking glass back to the right side. Start to, to start to live in the way that God has designed the world to work and designed us to live within it. It's really elementary. It's really basic. It's really like, you got to be like a child. You got to realize that you know nothing of God and you have no idea how to get to God and you need to learn and you need to be humble and your smart, intellectual, logical, rational mind <clears throat> can't get you there. You actually have to set it aside for a while. Like, Faith is logical, but it's not how you get to, it's not how you get to faith. You don't get to faith through logic. You get to logic through faith. Like you get to the logic of God through faith. First, you got to believe. If you believe it, you'll see that it works. If you see that it works, you'll know that it's real. And if you want to believe, you can. That's what it means to come to God like a little child. All right, guys. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. We will continue to talk about two kingdoms, one reality. This elemental, rudimentary, simple way of living life with God. Amen. All right. Until next time. See ya. <laughs>